Hello, and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. I almost said it's been a while, and we recorded like three hours ago. I don't know what's <laughs> going ju- on. We just took a lunch break and came back. <laughs> yeah, I had three slices of pizza, and that undid the rest of the day. So I was like, oh, this must be a new timeline. <laughs> it is Metroid Prime Woo-hoo! time. I am so excited to finally talk about this because we've been playing it for so long. Yeah. Like, I think we even started it in advance, like before the month of April. Yeah. At least I did. And then you and I, through like a comedy of errors, I feel like just had the busiest April of all time. (laughs) Yes. And then neither of us were able to finish this 10 hour video game on time for the bonus. Uh, So we're recording it a little bit later than usual. But thanks again for your patience. I would wager most of our audience is not like TikTok. I want one every month, but (laughs) I need to hear Samus take. Still, I appreciate (laughs) your patience. I'm glad we have a relationship where we can say, hey, we need more time. And people aren't like... Where's the Samus take? Yeah, yeah so. exactly. <laughs> I want to hear about the speedball. Uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of the speedball, give me your history with the Metroid franchise. You know, what's very special about Metroid for me is that the the bulk of my Metroid experience is by doing this show. Yeah. Even growing up as like the Nintendo kid of the two of us, like I totally missed Metroid. I remember my sister and I playing the first Smash Brothers and being like, who, who is this? When yeah. Samus was in the arena. I mean, I felt that way about most of them. Like, who's Captain Falcon? Why is this guy so intense? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I've always like heard about Metroid. And then the first one I played that I got for myself or that I got as a gift when I was in high school uh, was Metroid Prime 3 for the Wii, which mm. I really enjoyed. Corruption. But I, corruption i and what's kind of funny and this is totally another thread but i have a feeling that that's going to be the one for us i think as we slowly go through all the metroid games i don't know what it is i just think it seems like an into the aether favorite yeah but that was the first (laughs) one i played and i thought it was pretty cool but didn't really like it didn't grab me at the time Mm -hmm. and then you know years went by and and the first one that like i got really into that we covered for the show was Metroid Fusion, um, which is still one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Uh, And, you know, since then, we've done Fusion and Zero Mission for the Game Boy Advance episode. We recently had a bonus about Super Metroid and Symphony of the Night, Castlevania, sort of our Metroidvania bonus. And we've also played Dread, which came out two years ago. Wow. Um, So that's overall, I've now played most of them and enjoyed most of them. I would say the two that kind of stick out the most for me as personal favorites are Super Metroid and Fusion. Mm. Um, And this one. Uh, More on that soon. Great. Uh, But I would say currently that's my holy trinity of Metroid is Fusion, Super Metroid, and Prime, which I think each of those games cover a very specific aspect of Metroid, which I will explore deeper into the episode yeah i think that's a great that's a great holy trinity to have i think in, in this <laughs> franchise you. yeah on my end I, I i got metroid zero mission for the game boy advance uh when it came out i don't remember why or how i came into possession of that game i don't remember wanting it or needing it or anything like i don't remember anything about how i came into possession of it, it just but, entered your life but it entered my life and uh it was the first metroid game that i played i didn't know it was a remake of the first one i like i really didn't know anything about it at all but i do remember that point in my life i think it was 2004 that that game came out that was when i switched from like i'm just a baby playing video games and i'm bad at everything to like (laughs) i am going to actually finish this game and i did i finished metroid zero mission 
um, and loved it and had a really good time with it and then went on to play Fusion and uh, didn't like it as much as as you mentioned we played it for the uh, Game Boy Advance episode we did a couple of years ago and uh, have totally turned around on Fusion I think that game is like maybe a masterpiece yeah. um, but Zero Mission always held a really uh, special place in my heart and then um, when the DS happened the Nintendo DS happened uh, I, I knew that Metroid Prime existed on the GameCube but I didn't have a GameCube and none of my friends who had GameCubes had Metroid Prime either so I, I never really came into contact with it. I just knew it existed, I think, because I was like coming into awareness of the games industry and like stuff that was coming out for other consoles. Also, yeah. um, as somebody who just had a PS2 as my home console, I was like, what's this stuff that Nintendo people are getting? Um, and Metroid Prime looked really cool. So when they announced Metroid Prime Hunters for the DS, I was like all over it. I got the uh, the the demo cartridge that uh, they released and like played that nonstop. And then when the full game came out, I loved it. Like I remember loving Metroid Prime Hunters when that came out. And it wasn't until the Wii and Metroid Prime 3 that you just mentioned um, that I got really into Metroid Prime as an idea. Uh, I played Metroid Prime 3 without having played the first two. I was just like, this is sick. Uh, I'm here at the launch of a new Metroid Prime game. I'm going to play it. Didn't really consider that there was like a, an ongoing story or anything, which honestly, I didn't really care about or know about until Dread happened. Like when Dread very specifically was like, this is the end of this story that we're telling about Samus. I that's when I suddenly all clicked into place like, oh, yeah, all these games are like there's like a continuity here and they all start with what number they are like. Yeah, <laughs> there, there is like an actual thing happening. But anyway, Metroid Prime three corruption. I played on the Nintendo. Wii, loved it, uh, like loved it, loved it, specifically loved the control scheme. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It is one of the best. If I remember correctly, it's one of the best uses of motion controls yeah on the platform yeah and and uh specifically of all the first person shooters that were released on the wii which there were far fewer than you would expect uh metroid yeah. prime 3 ended up being like one of the better ones maybe unsurprisingly because it's nintendo and it's retro and they're both good at their jobs i specific the thing that i always think about is that when you switch weapon types and visor types you, you have to like hold down a button and then just kind of like flick the wiimote in whatever direction you want to switch and that that could have felt really stupid, but actually feels like really badass when you're like, I see a, a an enemy that I need to use this kind of weapon on. And you like flick in that direction and then aim the controller at them and shoot them in the face. Good stuff. Anyway, then I got a copy of Metroid Prime on the GameCube because the Wii famously had uh, ports for you to play GameCube games. You could you could like throw the disc in there. You could plug a GameCube controller in there. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I want to play Metroid Prime. And I hated it. <laughs> I hated the controls. I thought it was awful. And sometime in between that experience of me, like starting Metroid Prime being like, this intro is cool, but I don't like the way this game feels. And eventually the next thing that I'll talk about, uh, they released on the virtual console, all of the other Metroid games just about. So that was when I played Super Metroid for the first time. Loved it. Uh, just like Metroid Fusion. I, I had, uh, sorry, like Metroid Zero Mission. I had some issues with it. There's a lot of obtuse stuff. We did a whole bonus about Super Metroid. You can go listen of that for uh, more on that but anyway eventually fast forwarding a little bit uh i think it was gamestop did a reissue for some reason i don't know how they did they did this with two games that i know of they did this with metroid prime trilogy and xenoblade chronicles on the wii where for 80 dollars you could buy this game that was originally released for $60, but GameStop was reprinting it. Uh, <laughs> and I did that with both of those games. I bought both of those games. I had like no money for some reason. and Or sorry, for some reason, I bought both of those games, even though I had no money. And was like the idea of playing Metroid Prime, but with the controls that I love from Corruption feels like a no brainer for me. And that was when I played through one and two and uh, loved them. 
also. So I have uh, played every Metroid game at this point, with the exception of the original two on the Game Boy, uh, because I just like I don't think there's a world in which I'm going to go back and play that when Samus Returns exists on the, <laughs> on the 3DS, because that thing is so good. Yeah, it's interesting how I feel like the desire for Metroid Prime Remaster, I think, kind of started at launch with that control scheme. Because that was kind of divisive even at the time, from what I remember reading. Yeah, we were already in the zone of like the Xbox is out and Halo is out. Right. You know, and like as soon as Halo comes out, you go look at any other game that's a a quote unquote first person shooter and you ask yourself a lot of questions about their control schemes. Yeah, I feel like, like I'm not even the biggest Halo fan, but like as a kid growing up playing Halo and then going back to Goldeneye, it was like, what am I doing with this baby's toy? You know, exactly. You mentioned before you were like, I was a baby who was bad at games. Then I played Metroid. I I do think there's something about Metroid that makes you grow up when you play it. (laughs) Like no matter what age you are, like it makes you an adult. I know what you mean. You leave the experience knowing your weaknesses, knowing your frustrations, but are stronger for it mm. uh, in a way that is that is really magical. I'll have a lot to say about that point uh, when we talk about the end of the game. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, but all in all, I, I would just say I, th- I think that Metroid Prime, uh, the trilogy, but Metroid as like a franchise has kind of been this like simmering under the surface huge thing for me for a really long time. Um, yeah. I, I always forget how much I love Metroid until we talk about it on the show or if, or a new one comes out that I get to play. But Dread, Dread coming out felt like the culmination of like years of love for this thing that I didn't even realize I had. And going back and playing this remaster of Prime was just brilliant. I mean, I, I think we should probably start by saying that both of us played the remaster on the switch yeah Um, there are other ways of playing metroid prime uh obviously you could play it on the gamecube um it's like very easy to emulate in a lot of instances and there's also a team uh who is doing uh working on development of a fork of the dolphin emulator that's called prime hack that specifically is a version of the dolphin emulator that only plays the three metroid prime games and specifically on pc and on steam deck and things like that adds a bunch of quality of life improvements and a bunch of like graphics updates and it like runs in 4k it's like pretty cool uh to add like mouse and keyboard support to metroid prime or like full controller support but that having been said this is getting into that kind of like gray zone for me where it's like yeah i have those three games on my steam deck and the prime hack emulator like i could play that on my steam deck but this is an instance where nintendo has created a product that is like actually so great and is remastering this game in a way that is like so loving and adds so much quality of life stuff that i i have to support it like i feel compelled deep in my heart of hearts to support Nintendo in this remaster specifically, because I feel like it is almost the the platonic ideal of what a remaster of a game is in a lot of. Oh pieces. yeah, and I and I feel like Metroid Two is still kind of the underdog of the first party Nintendo stuff. Like yeah, like it's doing much better now. Like for any other game, Dread sold especially well. Yeah, but for Nintendo metrics, it's still not on the same level as like Mario or Zelda or you know yeah. Even those aren't on the same level as Mario Kart and Animal Crossing. So like yeah. the the expectation for first party Nintendo series is pretty wild. I feel like there's this sentiment that Nintendo doesn't want to make Metroid games. Um, it's sort of partially why they they handed off the IP to Retro in the first place because I think they were right. You know, uh, it's still a first party game, but I think they were open to seeing what a different team could do with the property. Yeah, because when you look at Metroid Prime, it came out the same year as. 
Metroid Fusion, and both of those games came out in 2002. The previous Metroid game was Super Metroid on the Super Nintendo, <laughs> which was eight years prior to that. So for a company that is like so good at just churning out hit after hit after hit in all their first party IP, Metroid weirdly just got kind of like left in the dust. And then it happened again. Like it happened with it, like Metroid Fusion, Metroid Prime come out. Oh, my God. Metroid's great. Zero Mission comes out. Prime 2 comes out. Prime 3 comes out. They have that pinball spinoff. They have the DS one. And then suddenly Metroid Other M comes out. Oh, right. And and doesn't do very well. And then silence. Yeah, exactly. There's yeah. like nothing by way of like a really new Metroid game until Dread happens in 2021. But I think there's definitely like a Velvet Underground essence to Metroid because I think it's like, you know, every Nintendo series has a visible influence on all games. Yeah. But like if you're a fan of Metroid, there's like a 50% chance you made a game after playing it. I think it's not a coincidence <laughs> that like the early wave of indie games and like the early to mid 2000s and then in the absence of Metroid, we've seen so we've seen the term Metroidvania become a whole genre of games. There's yeah. too many now. You know, it's really kind of beautiful. As, as sad as it was that we didn't get Metroid for a very long time, clearly it's inspired so many people to like take their own spin on it. And that's really cool. Like it's it's not often you see that. And, and it's not often that a game can have a genre with its name in it. It's yeah. it's really powerful. Wait, can I speaking of the name, I, I just have the Wikipedia page open oh, for yeah. the Metroid <laughs> franchise because I, I wanted to get the dates right. I, I was just skimming it real quick. I did not know this, but Metroid is a, a portmanteau of Metro as in rapid transit and Android. <laughs> I really like that. That's how they named the, the video game. That's wild. Wow. I, I, I never really knew. I mean, I know the Metroids are like the parasite creatures, obviously. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I wonder if that came later. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think so. I guess to talk about Metroid Prime a little bit, it was interesting going into this game having only played the 2D ones. And I'm including Dread as a 2D one even though it's technically yeah. 3D. I almost had the same worries that I imagine Metroid fans in the early 2000s did about Prime, <laughs> where I'm like, it's going to be a first-person shooter? Like, what? What yeah. is this? Like, th how could this be good? This is like, you know, I, I, I am anticipating the wrong direction this could go in. Mm -hmm. And like, immediately, Metroid Prime not only proves that it works, but that it, it is maybe the best way to experience Metroid. <laughs> uh, or at least, yeah. in my opinion, equally powerful for the for the parts of the game that work really well i think something about experiencing the world of metroid from first person and really really leaning into what that means like not just this is a first person shooter but like what is added to the experience by playing this game in first person specifically with the atmosphere and the tension what effects are happening on samus's visor at all times and that's where the game really blew me away that's like it's a small detail but that's kind of when i I knew I was playing a masterpiece when I like mm. walked down a corridor and like the visor like got steam on it and like glossed up for a bit. Or yeah. if you're like to if you fire a missile and you're close to the explosion, you'll see Samus's face because it's like lit up in the in the reflection. Yeah. All of which was in the original, just to be clear, not right. just in the remaster. That was all stuff on the GameCube. Yeah, right. And like that, that just shows such a dedication to the perspective to like yeah. you are you are playing as Samus and it almost makes it even more isolating and scarier in sort of like a alien isolation way, but also even more empowering when you're doing well and when you're mm. powerful. And I think also the the switch between 
you know, predominantly being in first person, but then the segments where you go into a morph ball and suddenly it's a third person platformer. It's almost like they have a second game when you're in that form. And that's yeah. so fun. Yeah. Like it's the morph ball has always been an iconic Samus power, but like in the 2D games, it's largely just to get into narrow passageways. But in this, it's like this is this is a totally different experience suddenly. Mm-hmm. And that adds so much variety to to the experience. Yeah. I couldn't believe how instantly sold I was. Not that I was skeptical, like I knew this game is, is widely beloved, but still, like I, I was so used to Metroid being a certain way and seeing, you know, way more games have been inspired by the 2D Metroids, at least from my knowledge. You know, I don't see many, uh, many games kind of copy this first person style. And usually if they do, it's like more of a horror type experience. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think that's a good point because I I was trying to rack my brain the other day while I was playing of other games that have been inspired by Metroid Prime. And the only one I can think of weirdly is Star Wars Republic Commando, which even still is not it's not a Metroidvania by any stretch of the imagination, but just by virtue of them having the same kind of like you're looking through the visor of a clone trooper HUD. That's really the only thing it has in common. And I'm like, why are more people not doing that all the time? Even that by itself, the idea of a HUD being diegetic and like the thing that the character you're playing as is seeing, it makes so much sense. And we're in this era now, which I don't think is bad per se, but it feels a little bit like a like a loss of character or like a loss of something is that like all UI is very minimally designed and that's on purpose. And I think that that works in a lot of games. Um, but there's something about having this almost like not only like maximalist vibe that Metroid Prime has where you can see everything that you would ever need to care about on the screen at all times, but also the fact that like they are aware that you're looking through a piece of glass and doing things like, you know, putting steam on it or having the having Samus's face reflected in there. That stuff is so cool. But then you take a step back and ask yourself the question that you were just asking, which is like, okay, but what about the Metroid Prime likes? Because there's so many Metroidvanias like, I mean, they figured out the blueprint in 2002. It's amazing that nobody else has really run with this in any real way. The only games I can think of are the kind of like, I would say early 2010s to mid 2010s indie era of things like Antichamber and maybe like the Talos Principle and games like that that are kind of going after a a similar idea, but it's more just from the perspective of only puzzle solving, like nothing about combat, nothing about traversal. It's like really just puzzle solving. Those are the only games I can think of that really, to me, scratch that same kind of itch. Nothing really comes close to Metroid Prime except for Metroid Prime. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's really unique, even in the series itself. You know, it kind of it feels very much like a Metro game, but it has a very distinct energy to it. And I, I, I think you're right to show like we're talking about the maximalist UI design, but I love that it's all all that stuff is what Sam is also seeing and like one of my favorite details is you know you get different kinds of weapons that are all different beams on like your arm gun yeah um and you know as you switch between them there's like you know a standard one and there's like a plasma rifle and and an ice cannon um you'll see the robot arm kind of transform to accommodate that which is such a cool detail but also on the actual icons for the beams you see a hand that has different fingers uh standing out yeah. So it's implying that like Samus herself is changing the canon based on what she's pulling down on to with her hand. Take that a step further. If you have the x-ray visor on, you can see her hand doing that, oh doing those God. motions. Yeah. Again, a thing that was in the GameCube version. Like this is all stuff that they put in the GameCube version of this game. It's it's miraculous that this game exists, I think. Yeah. And I think it's it, this this game is like the best 
piece of I shouldn't say evidence, but it's a great game to show the power of going deeper rather than uh, larger. You know, I mean, I think all Metroid games and all Metroidvanias to an extent usually have a dedicated place. Like they rarely are uh, larger than like a place you could actually walk around like yourself. Like there's like a dedication to a singular setting mm-hmm. that might have like a bunch of variety, but like you get to know a place very well, but you get to know it so intimately that it feels really big and it yeah. feels really immersive. And this game strikes a nice balance where like you're not just, you know, one spot the whole time. You're on this planet and you're going to different zones on the planet, but like you have a very intimate understanding of the whole planet by the end which is more than i can say for a lot of games that are like actually trying to get you to feel that way yeah you know games that are like you can climb that mountain in the distance like it feels so much more important because everything is given weight and like everything reacts accordingly to your actions yeah i don't think it's a i don't think it's a far cry to say that this game is the most like if you were if you were to map it to one of the 2d metroids it is the most like super metroid and i yeah. I would go as far as saying that that must have been what Retro was thinking when they started putting this game together. I have a sneaking suspicion that this game maybe didn't start as like a Super Metroid 3D port. Like, let's figure out if we can do Super Metroid in, in you know, uh, first person shooter style. But more that they use Super Metroid as like, you know, there was Metroid and then there was Metroid 2 on the Game Boy. But Super Metroid was the one where we all kind of agree, like they figured it out. You know, it's the one when people say Metroidvania, they're referring to Super Metroid. Is that part of the portmanteau? I, I have a sneaking suspicion that Retro Studios was like, Super Metroid is the blueprint for how to make a Metroid game. Let's see if we can do that in 3D. And slowly over the course of development, figured out which things they needed to change here and there. Because there's so many similarities between the two oh, in yeah. terms of pacing, even in terms of, like the open, the way the games open are almost exactly the same. Even just in terms of the different biomes that you go to are very similar to Super Metroid. Maybe not the order per se, but the orders in which you get a lot of the upgrades, you know, because there are some upgrades that are uh, independent to the Metroid Prime series and some that are uh in both prime and the 2d stuff because some of the 2d ones wouldn't work in 3d which i think makes a lot of sense like the the screw attack you know being able to like double jump sorry not double jump but uh like do your kind of spinning move or like wall jumping back and forth and stuff all things that would not work very well or would be really disorienting in 3d specifically in like 2002 era first person shooter design 3d i can't imagine how horrifying that would be Uh, (laughs) we're still years away from mirror's edge when it comes to doing somersaults and f in an FPS. But I think they do some really smart things to kind of differentiate from Super Metroid. I think you already brought up the fact that there are a lot of morph ball puzzles. That became a staple of Metroid after that. Like why why were morph ball puzzles not being used as a puzzle solving mechanic outside of just a way to like traverse little bits and bobs here and there? It was usually like, you know, you would bomb the side of a wall and then it would have a, a, a hole that was only big enough for the morph ball to go through and then you made your way into the next place that you were running through. Metroid Prime is like, no, the morph ball is like interesting enough to be its own gameplay mechanic and they start not only asking you to solve a bunch of questions with the morph ball but then start layering on top of of the basic morph ball strategy a bunch of other mechanics like the spider ball and all this other stuff that uh i I think just like takes it to another level and you can see that ripple out into the only side-scrolling metroid game they've made since then which is uh which is Metroid Dread, uh, which also has morph ball puzzles, which I think is a direct reference to how great they were in Metroid Prime in this trilogy. Yeah, that's like, I, I think the the spider ball specifically, like which is a power that lets you magnetize to a track. Yeah. 
there's a sequence in uh, Magmore Caverns where you're like on like high up on the walls of this like lava area and the like gasp that I didn't even realize I was I was making out loud when I had to like drop from one to like you have to like let go of the magnet power and then like yeah press at the right time to grab onto a lower ledge like it's so cool and I mentioned in our 3ds episode that uh Super Mario 3d land was the first Mario game to really give me a sense of verticality mm. or at least a sense of height like I never I never felt like nervous that I was high up in a Mario game except yeah. for that one and I feel similar with metroid prime where like it really just by nature of changing the perspective like it gives you a stronger sense of how overwhelmingly hostile this environment is yeah um sometimes too well and we'll get to that later but uh (laughs) I, i think in terms of like navigating the environment i wouldn't say this game like the movement is still a little stiff but that's clearly a design choice but i think yeah like the morph ball stuff i think is is the shining achievement of this game on a mechanical level yeah it's really great thinking a little bit more about the stuff that like works in 2d that doesn't work as well in 3d um i i think verticality is a great thing to point out is that the original metroid games all three of the ones that had been released before this one take a lot of pride, I think, in having Samus running around and going, you know, up and down these gigantic caverns. Uh, and Metroid Prime, I think, takes a really smart approach where it's pretty much all a level playing field until you get to the last section. Like the last place you have to explore is when they introduce a bunch of elevators that like take you into different levels of what is essentially like a mine shaft. But everything else is like pretty flat. The only thing that's preventing you from really exploring up and down is your own ability set for a while. Like, I think in terms of getting players acclimated to the idea of moving Samus through a 3D space and a 3D version of Metroid tunnels and stuff, only giving you the like basic jump for, I don't know, three or four hours is weirdly a great tutorialization. So when they eventually give you the double jump, which is like the greatest feeling in the entire world, by the way, uh, suddenly the game is like actually there's been all of these platforms that you didn't even know were platforms that you could be jumping on at any given time now that now that you can reach them which i think is so smart because it just kind of eases people into like you know how to play metroid already now you're learning how to play metroid prime i also think metroid prime maybe does the best job kind of like showing you areas you can't do yet yeah and i think this this game is one of the few that really benefits from like you know in most of these games specifically metroid you start off with all your powers and then you lose them and have to get them back right and playing through that that escape sequence in the very very beginning actually like playing with all the powers and knowing what they do you then have context for like oh once i get the grappling hook i can go there or like once i have the morph ball i can do this Mm -hmm. um and i found i found the game to be pretty discernible in terms of like you know there's a lot of going to an area kind of taking note of what you can and can't do yeah then going somewhere new and then coming back once you have that ability and i always felt really excited to do that for at least for the first two-thirds of the game i felt like really excited to go back to a place Mm. and to use the new thing i had yeah because i think you know i would either get something new that would let me do more stuff or i would get some benefit and i think like this is a game where you really do want to stock up on the missile upgrades and the health upgrades because if you don't it's going to be brutal yeah i i kind of forgot how much you need them towards the end of the game uh, and and had missed a lot of them and then when i realized 
realized uh, I, I did a I did a stream um, where I did like the last quest in the game and fought the second to last boss and was like, I'm missing like at least 40 of the missile upgrades I need to be able to like <laughs> s- comfortably finish this fight. Uh, and I w- went around and, and got a bunch of missile upgrades, which was it- extremely worth it i just i gotta shout this out it is raining so hard it's like it's like a hurricane outside (laughs) and and there's thunder and there's lightning and it feels so much like the landing zone like looking out the window it looks so much like the landing zone in metroid prime i can't believe how perfectly this weather is fitting the atmosphere of the game anyway the landing zone is so cool and that's where i think you can feel the super metroid influence the most because Like in Super Metroid, you know, you land your ship and then you go deep underground. And there's a point in that game that, you know, small spoiler, but, you know, you eventually work your way around where you're like back at the beginning. But now you have basically the ability to go anywhere you want. And the music changes to be really triumphant. You know, when you land, it's kind of like uneasy atonal beeps and and Mm -hmm. blips and then when you come back up it's like a superman theme you know and it's like oh hell yeah i without even like just changing the music the game showed me that i that i have succeeded in some way another another connection to super metroid by the way is um the composer of that game kenji yamamoto also did the score for metroid prime and a lot of the songs in metroid prime are like kind of purposeful remixes of songs from super metroid yeah which i think is really interesting like the i i wonder if it's a remix then because this the music that plays when you're in that landing zone and you're just sort of like overcome with like the beauty of that place naturally mm. yeah uh is very similar to that triumphant song in, in super metroid but it's almost a flip because in metroid prime eventually when you go back there then the music is it's not it's not sad or stressful but it's like okay now now we're serious like yeah. now you're on a mission yeah um and you feel much more like determined because i think something that's really cool and, and something that i i think i can see like there are moments that it works really well and moments towards the end that are maybe a bit excessive but Super Metroid often would add enemies to an area to make the place feel alive, to to make it feel like, oh, this place changed since I have last been here. Mm -hmm. And and Metroid Prime does that, too. Like, uh, you know, later in the game, there are these Chozo ghost enemies that will appear in various places. And there are tons of pirates that show up in various places. And they get better technology as time goes on also. Yeah, because when you first arrive on Talon 4, right, is the planet's name? Yeah. Most of the enemies and even the boss fights you have are like out of work, like security equipment, just sort of like (laughs) sentry cameras or like, you know, just on autopilot robots. And then like, it's cool that as you get deeper into your mission of saving this place or, you know, at least investigating what the distress call was all about, you gain the attention of the enemies and they start showing up more. Mm -hmm. I will say, I think my main point of feedback for this game and the thing that I kind of struggled with the most is that I think the last third of it just throws too many enemies at you and they're they respawn every time you go into a room yeah and they take like sometimes actually a hundred bullets to kill yeah and like that kind of almost removes the tension because eventually i just started like walking past them and just yes. like tanking whatever damage came my way you have landed on like the main complaint that everyone had in 2002 also that, yeah, was, that right. was like that was like the biggest takeaway everybody had yeah when the pirates first start showing up i thought it was cool because you can kind of see the 
the flex of the design where it's like yeah for the for the first half even it's predominantly exploring but then when the pirates show up you can be like oh these are actually secretly quake levels and like this is kind <laughs> of a fun shooter yeah but when it becomes predominantly that i wonder if there was pressure to like really up the action at a certain point mm. like if there was it almost shows like a i don't know what the development was like but I, it to me playing it now it feels that there might have been a lack of confidence that like you couldn't keep the interest up unless you added like a bunch of boss fights and enemies i think it's done to just increase the tension and mm. because you're you know beating the game you're going to fight more all the bosses are great i actually enjoy all the boss fights to varying degrees yeah me too some go on for too long but even those i, I still enjoy because there's like a discernible pattern at least mm -hmm. but yeah eventually especially when the game like makes you backtrack everywhere in the last act the mines specifically like just having to ignore dozens of pirates just kind of became taxing um yeah like overall most of my thoughts were this might be one of the best games i've ever played so that stuff just stood out way more than it would have otherwise yeah no I, I'm, I'm totally with you and i i had forgotten how rough that ending is uh in, in a lot of ways because um what you're what you're alluding to and i guess this is i'll just say that this is like the big spoiler point yeah uh from here on out but what you're alluding to is you need to find these 12 chozo artifacts which uh are these like statues in this kind of artifact hall uh where essentially like the automated system running the chozo ruins is like you need to find all these and and put them all back together because the pirates the space pirates have essentially stolen them and are using them to perform the most horrific genetic experiments like i've ever read about in the lore logs of a video game it's wild that it's in this one that i think is rated t for teen uh, <laughs> yeah some of the i we didn't we haven't talked about this yet but like you have another visor that's called the scan visor that allows you to like just kind of highlight enemies or floor you know flora fauna but also you know read computer logs turn things on and off there, there's a bunch of different things that the scan visor can do but a primary part of it for those people who play this game and really want it is it colors in the lore and like tells you the actual story of the game like the the story really if you don't scan anything or don't read anything that you've scanned is just samus finds a distress signal goes down to town for uh there's some evil shit going on and uh because she's the good guy she's gonna fight the bad guys and like that's kind of it and you just like fight bigger and badder bad guys as the game goes on and you unlock cool stuff and the game is more about the journey than the destination if you yeah. scan all of the stuff and read all of the stuff there is a whole ass story being told there as if you're reading you know the the item descriptions in bloodborne you know it's right. like weird, <laughs> weirdly similar to that it is yeah. um and the story is like horrifying <laughs> the story is so scary like ridley is leading the space pirates to essentially genetically modify other pirates but also like anything they can get their hands on don't care at all if they're like you know wiping out entire civilizations don't care at all if they're going to release the metroid somewhere and you know uh, the metroids are just going to run rampant throughout the galaxy like they they are fully aware that all of this stuff is possible and just don't give a shit in the name of like profit uh which is wild but all of that said that was a huge detour from what we were talking about which is actually apt 
for this segment, which is the the 12 Chozo artifacts that you need to find um, are hidden throughout the entirety of the game. And I had completely forgotten that they're not optional, but are in fact a mandatory piece of finishing the game. You do need to find all 12 artifacts to be able to to fight the last two bosses. Um, and I had found, I think, five of them by the time I got to that point in the game, like where yeah, I had four. Yeah, yeah. Which is like. I would have gone out of my way while I was playing had I known that it was going to be mandatory at the end. Yeah, I think yeah. I think there's a way they could have either tell you that that's like the end goal earlier. So you're always kind of keeping an eye out for them. Yeah. Or like make this like the secret ending path or something. Yeah. It is kind of a it's almost like you play like if you played all of Ocarina of Time and then at the end, they're like, by the way, you needed to get the medallions from each temple. And like right. you had to go right. back to each temple <laughs> And fight a boss to get a medallion. Yeah. Yeah. If it was like, oh, you can find some of them and then you you fight Ridley and then, you know, that's it. And you move your you move on and that's your life. Or you find all of them and you fight Ridley. And then you fight Metroid Prime as the like final ending. Like that would have been very cool. What but, I think they yeah. wanted you to feel is a sense of power where like you're going back to each place with like a full arsenal. And like, it's a good point, you know. Yeah. But you don't really. I had one weapon that I assume is optional where if you charge the wave beam and then fire a missile, it shoots like a continuous ray of electricity. Yeah. I never had to use the it for any buster. puzzle. Yeah, so I just assumed it was like an optional, powerful weapon. There are three optional weapons you can get. Uh, it's the, it's the like, missile version of all three of the extra weapons that you get. Oh, so you get the super really missile. Cool. That one's mandatory. But then the wave buster is, is, is optional. There's an ice one, and then there's a fire one also. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I found the wave buster on my own, which was sick. Yeah. I somehow found all of them this playthrough. Like I, I did follow a guide for a chunk of the ending, but ended up just like stumbling by accident into both the the ice power up and the fire power up, uh, which I don't think I've ever done before. I don't think I've ever found those before. The ice one is like fucked up powerful. It is like easily the strongest thing in the game. The ice beam by itself, I should just say, is already wildly powerful because if you charge it up and fire it at pretty much anything, it will freeze in place. And if you hit it with one missile, it'll shatter into a million pieces. Um, that is already great. Uh, but but the ice missile, I mean, the, the ice super missile uh, essentially is just both of those simultaneously. Uh, so it's just like, kaboom, no more enemy. Goodbye. I only use the guide in the last couple artifacts because... Thankfully, the game makes it pretty clear where, where each of them are. Like, there are statues that will yes. say, like, in the Fendrana Drifts, like, in a temple. You know, okay, you just look at the map, you see the na the one room called Temple. But there are a couple that are a little bit like, all right, guys. They're a little more obtuse than they I really be. had to look through a window at a tower in the distance. It's that like, killed me. That one killed me. Yeah. That I, one is is a lot. <laughs> yeah. The, the big thing, I think that would have fixed it to me not to backseat game design but the the big thing for me is you have to go to the artifact temple to scan each of the statues and each of the statues will give you a hint as to where the next one is but unfortunately they don't tell you all of them initially you have to have collected a couple before it will reveal the next couple and so on and so on and so on so you get you can be stuck in this situation where it's like you know i got two of them I finished the game and this this temple won't tell me where the other ones are until I go back to like, you know, the second area of the game and find a couple more that I don't even know exist yet, um, yeah. which is a little bit weird. The second thing maybe would have been like just, you know, you're already giving me a hint system. 
which I love. I think that this I game is really smart about the hint system where like if you're just wandering around for long enough, eventually it'll be like incoming anomaly and then it'll open up the map and just kind of like show you a place that you should go, which is very similar to how it worked in the 2D ones. But this one feels a little bit more like forgiving than that did. Um, yeah. Because in those ones, it was like, I don't know how to get here and neither do you. Good luck. Um, <laughs> in this game, it's more like, hey, there's there's something, you know, in this area. And you're like, oh, yeah, OK, I think I know where that is. And usually I found it was usually like in the same realm that I was already exploring. Like, I, I think yeah. it's it's nice, though, just to kind of like, you know, it, it helps you not get too aimless. And uh, there was only one part of the game that I was like really stuck. And that's when I found like every health upgrade and missile upgrade it was um <laughs> in the ruins i didn't realize that i had to scan the symbols to activate them so mm. i just didn't know how to open that big door mm. one thing i also wish we had was a way to mark the map because i just feel like i yeah. i had trouble retaining like why didn't i explore further oh because there's like a bunch of debris in the way mm -hmm. but yeah, otherwise i think it's like a pretty I actually think that Metroid Prime for the bulk of the experience is one of the more approachable Metroid games. Yeah, um, I think so too. I don't know if that's just because I have more experience with the series, but I just think, and that's, I would say, if I had to guess, one of the bigger challenges of designing a Metroid game in first person is visually communicating a room to you right away. Because in the 2D ones, you get a whole view of, of the square you're in. Yeah. But in Metroid Prime, it's like you need to make sure that like the minute the player walks into the room, they have a general idea of what's available Yeah, and not obscuring things like only once was there something that was obscured, you know, uh, visually. It was in the one of the dreaded uh, half pipes and Ugh. one of the doors was behind like a vine. And I'm like, come on, guys. Yeah. You're making me do the half pipe, first of all, which you're already on thin ice. And then second of all, the half pipe is so tough. Why is the half pipe so tough? I like eventually got it. And then like, cool. So do you want to do one in a room full of poison gas? Like, no, you're really overestimating oh, that how much wild, I like the yeah. half pipe. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think especially with this remaster existing, if you are listening to this episode and you've never played Metroid, I would pitch this one to begin with. I think this is like a good entry point to the series. Yeah. And it's worth mentioning also that there are rumors abound that uh, two and three are not going to get a remaster on this level. But uh, we haven't even talked about this, but, but Metroid Prime remastered beyond just being like a graphical update and you know it's in 16 by 9 instead of 4 by 3 also adds just like better controls like it's you know it's an actual first person shooter now because in the original on gamecube um the c stick was not used to look around what you needed to do was if you wanted to look around you had to i think press the the right trigger if i recall correctly if you were stopped in place and press the right trigger then you could look around um and uh -oh. and the idea pretty much was like you're just looking around in the puzzle solving elements. So like that bit that you were talking about with the artifact where it's like, you need to look out a specific window and like scan something and then shoot something. That's what like stopping and looking around is for. The other side of this is that the, the left trigger was for locking on, which was supposed to be the primary way that you were like aiming and shooting at things was just through locking on, which I found myself still doing in this, honestly, yeah, like even, even though I had, it was nice to have the twin stick ability to like control, um, you know, especially when like traversing the environment, in almost every combat situation, it was always like lock on, then shoot, lock on, then shoot, lock on, then shoot. Um, so there's all of that. Point being, uh, there are rumors that even though two and three aren't going to get a remaster, there is going to be some kind of collection of the two of them that will be on Switch and just include that control scheme. Um, so That's great. it'll just be like two and three, but better controls for the Switch, uh, which I am all about. I wonder if they'll include the motion controls for three. I was surprised that they didn't have them in this. 
Um, yeah. Or do they? Do they? I'm not sure. Oh, it is. It is there. Oh, that's awesome. I might. Oh, try you know that. what? I think I did try it actually. Now that I remember, when when it first came out, I tried it for a second, and then I just immediately switched back. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think the thing is, is like the Wiimote and Nunchuck having the infrared sensor was like pretty accurate and the joy con although it is like pretty accurate is not as accurate you know um yeah it's a recalibrate a lot yeah but uh yeah if hey if, if that made its way into metroid prime remaster then it probably will for two and three is one your favorite of the trilogy i would need to play two and three again because it's been so long i mean it, yeah. it's pretty hard to beat one i remember loving three two weirdly was like the That's one the outlier the, it was the yeah. one for me when i was oh, really? younger yeah um, I remember loving to um, there's that that's where the introduction of Dark Samus comes in. Cool. Uh, and it's real fun. Yeah, I feel like uh, giving Samus like a equal but opposite in these games yeah. always pays off. I have to imagine it was just based on the success of Fusion. That's true. I yeah, that makes that sense. Is. Yeah. Well, because the timeline, I, I mean, most of these games are pretty light on story. I think the the most narratively heavy one is probably fusion honestly yeah uh maybe dread until but dread, like, i think yeah yeah but i i checked a timeline and it's metroid the first game then metroid 2 then the prime trilogy and then super metroid and and on yeah. basically yeah to me that kind of reads as like the hero lost timeline in the hyrule compendium <laughs> like like what uh, these are just some time between these two games yeah but really cool. It's also worth noting that Metroid Prime 4 is still in active development by Retro Studios. I would say uh, this game, if I were to guess, is kind of like a test bed for what that game is going to look and feel and play like. And I have to imagine also is like a good way of teaching maybe newer hires at Retro Studios, like the thinking and thought process that goes behind making a Metroid Prime game to like have them work on rebuilding the original very cool I, i've been watching um that double fine documentary about psychonauts and psychonauts yeah 2. i need to watch that um it's amazing but uh they they had that vr one that they made the rhombus of ruin uh before they made psychonauts 2 and a uh, very similar thing was like there are a bunch of people here who worked on the original psychonauts and there are a bunch of people who haven't so by having the people who haven't work on this vr one it'll get them in the like headspace and in the in the right frame of mind to create a psychonauts 2 which is really smart as like here's a kind of like low stakes version of this i i have a sneaking suspicion that that's what metroid prime remastered is yeah i i'm just really happy we're in an era where metroid is coming back and is like yeah in some ways better than ever i mean i think mm. like dread i really loved uh i think it definitely feels and plays the best of the 2d ones with the combat there's no comparison but i think i i prefer super and fusion just as games but i, I just think if dread was like a swan song for that era of metro i think it was a really good note to end on if it's a continuation of that style kind of alongside metroid prime coming back i would be even happier because then you can you can still make both styles yeah um and i'm really curious too like going back to what we said before about how like there aren't a lot of games that pull from prime like i just wonder what a prime 4 looks like now mm. you know after like so many games coming out citing metroid as an influence and seeing what they did 20 years ago with prime i just feel like we're we're due for a metroid renaissance again i'm yeah. very excited about it give me the parry button <laughs> in first person i mean that that sounds sick so i also i appreciate what i remember about three uh they gamify the ship a little bit i'm like it feels like the, the lowest hanging fruit is like why isn't samus's ship used in the game yeah on the uh, yeah uh on 
the ship in Metroid Prime 3, you could like slap bumper stickers and also uh, have like bobbleheads and, you know, like uh, mirror dice and stuff hanging. And you could like hang out in the ship. And it was amazing. And a lot of it was like specifically based on how many collectibles you got in the game was like it, it, it not only incentivized you to like go get all the missile power ups and all the energy tanks and things like that. But was like, if you get enough of these, you can also get a cool bumper sticker. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. There's something very safe about saving in your ship, like that being a save point. Oh, like, yeah. I did it all the time. Yeah. This feels like a good place to end. I went game. out of my way multiple times on this playthrough just to save in the ship specifically. But yeah, I mean, I, I think this game is incredible. I, I'm proud that I'm finally a Metroid fan. Um, <laughs> anything else you want to touch on or do you want to move to questions? I know we have a lot of questions about specifics of the game, so I, I wouldn't mind saving some of our conversation for that. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I have a couple things to bring up, but I'll, I'll see if they come up naturally in that segment then. Okay. And if they don't, please bring them up at some point in that section. Cool. All cool. right. Let's take a break then and uh, come back and answer some questions. See you soon. Bye-bye. Samus. We are back with listener questions. Um, we were reviewing these and uh, a couple we already touched on, uh, which is, it was a good instinct of mine to transition over here, <laughs> but I'll kick us off. This one is from Dom on Discord. Were there any spots in particular you guys got stuck on during your playthrough? I find I get stuck in a new spot whenever I play through Prime, but it ends up being an excuse to spend some extra time drinking in the world. I mean, I mentioned I got stuck when I when I didn't know I could... I had to scan certain things to like activate objects. And then I got stuck at like the very end with uh, some of the artifacts stuff. But overall, I found like I never felt stuck because I always there was always enough I didn't check out in one of the zones that I felt pretty happy to just sort of explore. Mm. Um, it wasn't until like I had seen everything and then I was like, okay, like what tiny thing did I miss that I started to feel like frustrated or lost? Yeah. I, I had a couple moments on this playthrough. Um, I, I would say the the two big ones were weirdly at the end of like maybe the first act of the game when you're kind of like bouncing back and forth in the Fenander Drifts. You really are bouncing back and forth between the Fenander Drifts. Like you're in there and then you have to go back to the Chozo Ruins and back to the Talon Overworld and back to the Fenander Drifts and then back to the Chozo Ruins. Like there's enough backtracking that isn't immediately obvious that I thought I was constantly going the wrong way. Uh, and was like second guessing myself as I was backtracking to where I thought I needed to go. Because at that point, the game hadn't given me any hints that were like, hey, this is where you're supposed to be going. I was just like wandering. Yeah. Um, so that happened a bit. Um, I remember another point where I thought I was progressing and then ended up getting the wave buster by accident. I like I thought I was heading in the right direction. I was like, oh, shit, I found one of the secret weapons instead. Yeah, <laughs> um, which was fine. I mean, it wasn't a bad thing. There there are actually a couple instances throughout the game where I was like, I'm going the right way and then found like an energy canister. that was like, oh, I'm going a really secret <laughs> way, actually. Um which was fun. But I, I think the biggest thing for me is, is the end of the game. Uh, the, the meta Ridley fight in general is just like brutal, which we can maybe talk about a little bit more in detail later. But uh, I was stuck there. Probably I, I would say of the uh, 10 and a half hours it took me to beat the game, an hour and a half of that was just meta Ridley. Wow. Yeah, I, I think there's also a lot of instances where I would find an item and then re I had remembered where 
like I, I couldn't progress because I didn't have that item. Mm. And I would go back to that area with like a big grin on my face. And then I would immediately need another item. Like it was like, <laughs> oh, I finally got the ice beam. And then like the other side of the door, it's like, oh, guess you need the grappling hook now. Like, mm. man, do they take their sweet time giving you the grappling hook. I feel yeah. like, again, that's, I love this game and that's a backseat design, but it's like, and I think I think it's on purpose because when you get the grappling hook, it's in like a really cool area, and like the music feels like especially yeah. triumphant. That's um, sick. It's it's also like it completely opens up everything. So I get yeah. why it's later, but I think still. one of the things about the grappling hook is like they telegraph that you're yeah. going to get a grappling hook from almost the beginning of the game. So you spend the entirety of the game being like, well, the grappling hook's got to be soon, right? And there are some rooms in Magmore Caverns that feel like incorrect to walk through without it. Yeah, you know, but you yeah. can. So yeah, it, it does stand out. It's similar. I remember when Dread came out, everyone was like, why does it take so long to get the Morph Ball? It's like, you get the Morph <laughs> Ball like weirdly late in that game. Yeah. Um, or at least you can. Uh, I also, <laughs> do you know like how much one could sequence break in this game? Like, is that I think like, a lot. I think you yeah. can a lot in this game. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering how open it was comparatively. Because I imagine, again, it's playing from Super Metroid, which like Fusion, for example, is very linear. Like Fusion is... And I, th- I think it works for that game. I know that's sort of a divisive point regarding fusion, but I think because they're really zeroing in on horror and on like this relationship with SAX and, and like the scripted moments in which they show up, I think it kind of needs to be more linear. Mm-hmm. So I, I imagine there's not as much sequence breaking there, but yeah, this, this sort of has the openness of super Metroid. Uh, I'm on wiki.metroidprime.run. Oh, perfect. Uh, which has a section called Metroid Prime Sequence Breaks. And uh, there are some, it's just like the headlines of articles that you can click through and I guess learn how to do them. But some of them are really wild. One of them, which I love in Shows of Ruins, is Power Bombs Before Bombs, <laughs> which has got to be wild. The Power Bomb is also really cool. Although I was kind of annoyed that I didn't always know what it would affect. Like in a room full yeah. of Metroids, it would wipe them all out. But like the pirates were like totally unfazed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's really bizarre. Which is kind of funny. But, yeah. you know, whatever. Okay, moving on. Schmorgel on Twitter. What sort of lessons do you think Nintendo learned from earlier jumps to 3D that made this franchise's transition so successful? Is it simply a hardware advancement or something more robust? Great question. It's also worth pointing out, like, it is kind of funny and I think shows maybe Metroid's placement and Nintendo's priority that, like, every first party nintendo series got a 3d 64 entry Mm. except metroid metroid's first foray into 3d is the gamecube so i think i mean the closest you know star fox in 3d just feels like a no-brainer even the one in super nintendo was kind of 3d so like that wasn't really as big of a jump mario we've talked a lot about you know doing all stars recently like that jump and and that change in platforming but i think the closest comparison to metroid would obviously be zelda and i imagine that ocarina of time was probably also like a point of reference in just sort of the design of a room like you know walk a similar idea i mean even though that that game is in third person there is a heavy focus on first person as well um you know stopping and using the c button to look around kind of similar Mm -hmm. to metroid prime the first person perspective when you're using weapons um wow remember on. when i played ocarina of time that's so cool that i finished that game <laughs> it i'm is so glad cool. i did that <laughs> i'm very i'm very proud of you uh locking on to fight enemies. i know what you're talking about this is great yeah <laughs> dude themes of loss wow um are you telling me that i can be harder because of hardship or excuse me stronger <laughs> but anyway 
<laughs> I think um, Ocarina of Time, you know, I think sort of became the blueprint for 3D Zelda. And I imagine just because of how similar Metroid is, that probably helped. So I, not to like, I mean, there is so much Prime is doing that is unique to itself. So not to, you know, not give Retro enough credit for what they did here. It, it is just as triumphant as Ocarina. Oh, you mean like Nintendo did when they didn't credit Retro Studios with this remaster? Jeez. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, um, yeah, no, I, I, I think you're... I think you're on the money. I think the the kind of connective tissue between all of that stuff, between Mario 64 and even like, I don't know, Kirby 64, if you want to count that in there and, and Ocarina of Time is like the, the big thing was taking a step back and asking what are what are these franchises doing independent of everything else in the world of video games? And how do you translate that specific thing to 3D and coming up with a different answer for all of them instead of saying like, you know, oh, we did Mario 64. So now we're going to have Zelda do a backflip, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's that's not like or link. What? Uh, that's uh, not the situation here. You know, uh, the situation is like independently looking at each franchise and saying like, okay, what works in a 3D space? What doesn't? And even as I was talking about earlier, like the lack of verticality for the first couple hours of this game to me speaks to retro fully understanding the, uh, the, the world in which they are making a 3D version of Metroid is not a world in which everyone is totally comfortable playing a first person shooter yet. So, you know, we have to get people acclimated to that. But then even outside of that saying, which of these series staple upgrades are things that we should like forego and which one should we double down on and what new ones can we introduce that will make sense only in a 3D space, um, which is very smart. Yeah. And I, I think also like it's it's kind of hard to separate the two because if a game is in first person, it's inherently implying 3d at the very least yeah but i feel like for me it, it's the bigger focus is the perspective even over the 3d itself because i think like ocarina of time is very interested in sort of like navigating a space and manipulating that space whereas metroid prime is more about like the perspective of samus and sort of like the effects the environment have on them and the tools you can use to overcome it um, and it's also a little bit more combat focused as well. But yeah, it's I think it's definitely way more than just increased hardware. Um, so good question. Yeah, but I also don't think that they could have made a. I mean, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I, I, I don't think they could have made a Metroid that was as successful as this in 3D on the on the N64. No, I, I think I think Metroid demanded. I think if you're going to leave 2D for Metroid, it kind of demands further refinements in hardware yeah i think specifically because you know when you stand back and you ask yourself what is metroid good at as a franchise one of the big things and one of the words that keeps coming up on this episode and on every episode we talk about metroid is atmosphere right yeah and it's you know there are uh games that successfully elicit an atmosphere and a vibe and a mood on the n64 and then there are some games that fall on their faces and accidentally back into a vibe that is very silly and I feel like the GameCube era specifically is Nintendo saying not only can we make like high end, like good looking graphics on our home console, but we can also use the power of this console to make something that like is totally unique to itself from an art direction perspective. And you get things like Wind Waker. I would even say that Metroid Prime, like go back and look at footage of the original Metroid Prime on the GameCube. If you've never seen it before, it still looks great. Like you don't really need a remaster of this game. It just is a nice to have in a lot yeah, of ways. Totally. That game still looks amazing because it's art directed so beautifully um and that's the kind of stuff that i don't know if they would have been able to nail on the n64 era and uh gamecube like allowed for that 
it's interesting to remember how the GameCube, like that was the, I might have brought this up before, but that was like the last generation where Nintendo was on the same level graphically as like the other hardware. If like PS2, GameCube, and the first Xbox, like obviously I would guess that PS2 is probably the most powerful of the three, but not by like a huge amount. Like GameCube wasn't like noticeably worse, which is why I think so many third party games came out for all three, you know? Yeah. It was probably the most like even distribution amongst the console wars uh yeah. in, in our lifetime but uh anyway moving on that nerdy ginger on tw- on twitter where do you think the sweet spot is for the delivery of the narrative in metroid titles for example there's the light show not tell narrative of super metroid the monologue heavy metroid fusion and the in-between with metroid prime and its scan descriptions um i really like this question because i think i feel like zelda for example I, I think it's probably the most like it's one of the more narrative heavy games in like Nintendo's first party lineup, I guess, other than like Xenoblade. But like thinking about like Mario and Zelda and Kirby, like mm. Zelda's always felt kind of more narrative driven, at least the 3D ones like Ocarina and on Metroid. I think it's interesting that like after playing Super Metroid and playing Metroid Prime, like I don't I don't really think you need a direct narrative to succeed as a Metroid game. Like I think the atmosphere and the environment can do enough storytelling. Like even without scanning, you get a sense that there is a group of villains that are terramorphing and like terrorizing this planet and Metroid prime. And you want to stop them as a player, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think there's almost, I kind of respect that design of just like, you know, let the environment and let the enemies and the encounters speak for themselves. Like, I think it's cool that there's the option for scanning and getting more. Um, I didn't really do much of that. Like I scanned all the laptops to get the information I needed, but I didn't really stop to read because I wanted to explore more. Got to get that completion percentage up. (laughs) Exactly. That being said, I loved what fusion was doing i really loved that that game stopped to think about like what is the what is the toll taken on a person who goes through all these games yeah right and also thinking about like adding a horror narrative to the idea of losing all your power and being haunted by essentially the memory of how powerful you used to be but still can be that's really beautiful. I, I think for me, the sweet spot of Metroid, because from what I know, I haven't played Other M. I, I want to one day just to see. Yeah, but from too. what I know about that game, there's more of a direct story and, and to kind of mixed results. So I don't know if I really want Metroid to have like dialogue and cutscenes, but I think Fusion would be like my ideal. I think Fusion like did something really interesting. Um, and I would love to see that again. Cause Dread Dread sorta did, but like not to the same degree of success in my opinion. Yeah, I would say Dread sticks closer to the show don't tell scenario, which yeah, I would put this game like if you if you didn't read a lot of the scanning stuff, I think Metroid Prime is also pretty hands-off, which is cool. As you said, like it's not necessary, but it's there if you want it. I, I think you're right that Metroid Fusion like strikes the best balance, but it's cool that because it's in a 3D space, Metroid Prime is able to just kind of like litter the world in lore and allow players who are either like getting really into it the first time or replaying the game to really kind of like dig deep and, and learn more about that world, which is fun. I don't remember how much of that is in Echoes or Corruption, but I, I assume it's following the same lineage as Metroid Prime. I remember Metroid Prime 3 having like way more cutscenes yeah there it takes like an hour or so for metro prime 3 to kind of become what we would recognize as a metroid game because the first half is like a bunch of other bounty hunters being like hey i'm also here want to chat <laughs> i could be wrong but that's what i remember no, i think you're right yeah yeah i I remember, I remember the other bounty hunters popping up in those games 
and I, I'm I don't know if that's a bad thing. Like I'm curious if I would actually like that because I think there is a really cool world here, and you know I'm I'm intrigued to know more. I think it really depends on the style of Metroid game, but yeah, Fusion would be my favorite attempt at that. Mm. Todd Cooley on Twitter would love to know what you think about the Omega Pirate. I found them immensely frustrating when I played through a few months ago. Also, favorite location in the game. I love the Omega Pirate. I really, yeah. I, I love the boss fights in this game. Even even Meta Ridley, which I, I mentioned was like extremely frustrating, I think is still like rewarding and feels good to beat. Um, the Omega Pirate in particular, though, is really fun. That's the one where they have these like glowing bits that you need to, I think, scan with a thermal visor, right? Or x-ray vision. Or is it, it's the, it's the x-ray yeah, thing, yeah. Yeah. And uh, can also like recharge its health. I, I had a great time with that fight. I it, it was really skin of my teeth. I, I almost died the first time going through it uh, and ended up like pulling it out right at the end. But overall, I, I, I don't know. I really like that fight. I really like all the fights. I think they're all like they're all pretty like bombastic. I love that all of the fights in this game or all the boss fights are like huge hulking beasts for the most part. I think that that's really fun. Yeah, it's cool when you get into like Metroid Prime Hunters and I know Corruption and and uh and Echoes both have like fights where you're kind of fighting somebody more Samus's size, uh, or in some cases just Samus. Uh, but I don't know, something about Prime having these kind of like big cinematic, uh, like Shadow of the Colossus kind of encounters is really silly to me. And I, love I think it. Um, the bosses that utilize the different visions you have are my favorite. Like the, yeah. the stone golem where you have to use the thermal vision to That's see. That's the thermal one, yeah. You're right. Yeah, that one's so fun. The pirate, I mean, I think the pirate one can be frustrating just because you've been fighting so many pirates up until that fight that you're kind of sick of fighting pirates. But it is like a really cool use of x-ray vision and the fact that you have to like fight him you know with normal vision and then he disappears and you have to like look for him while more pirates come in it's yeah. it's a really cool moment um and also i think there are clearly telegraphed attacks because my my issue with fighting the pirates in the you know random areas of the games that it's really impossible to avoid taking damage yeah like there's no intuitive way to avoid gunfire unless you can hide behind a wall but with the bosses like you get a sense of like okay i need to jump for this or i need to like yeah. you know uh get out of the way for this attack or if i maybe like get in enough hits it will prevent them from attacking so like i like being armed with that information yeah favorite area i mean this goes into the next question so eric on discord asked favorite beam favorite visor favorite area and how much of the non-critical scanner info did you read do you want to go first sure uh favorite beam is definitely the plasma beam which is like the fire one uh because it's just a laser beam and it shoots exactly (laughs) where you're pointing whenever you're pointing at it yeah um some of the other ones have like a travel time between when you shoot and when they hit where they're going and really i mean the plasma beam has that a little bit but not as much as the other ones so big fan of that favorite visor i mean it's that's a weird question because to me they all have their utility like they're all so important for different reasons sure Um, the thermal visor being able to help you like see in dark areas, I think is really great. The x-ray visor specifically as a, a method for you to not only, you know, traverse invisible platforms and things that uh, y- you don't even really know are there, but also find secrets, I think is really cool. Like there are a bunch of things that you can only find if you have the x-ray visor equipped at, at, at the right moment, which is really cool. One of my favorite moments in the entire game, honestly, is uh, 
when you get the x-ray visor and you have to climb up this i think it's in the first area like the foresty area you're like climbing up this kind of spiral and the platforms just stop but it's raining really hard and you can see the rain bouncing off of something that's not there and you can turn the the x-ray visor on and see that there's actually a platform there like that moment is so cool it's amazing how frequently this game does things like that and if you scan that it says the rain seems to be stopping here for some reason oh really yeah. that's cool yeah i love i love that i think that's amazing and then the scan visor is also great uh and favorite area is interesting i think it's got to be the finandra drifts I, th- I think that that area is just like wonderful really atmospheric i love the like i love the fact that the snow at least in the original is just like big circles i think that that's really <laughs> nice um and uh it looks great and in, in remastered and the music is just amazing in that area and for how much of the non-critical scanner info did you read uh more this playthrough than ever before but still not a lot i would say yeah great answers i mean you can't really go wrong i would say my favorite beam is, i like the wave beam uh it is kind of tricky to use it doesn't have the like impact you maybe want but charging up to kind of stun enemies with electricity yeah and the fact that it homes onto things is awesome yeah and it also was good at like kind of clearing waves of enemies like if mm-hmm. they were like a bunch of bugs or something yeah favorite visor i think i like the thermal just because like i loved putting it on to see how much they committed to it like <laughs> if yeah. you put it on in the magmore caverns you can't even see because it's yeah. so hot <laughs> it's so funny um and yeah. like that that attention to detail is so immersive and so fun favorite area i mean it's kind of a basic answer but i feel like the talent overworld i just loved going back to and I, it reminded me a lot of uh in resident evil village like after you complete each area you go back to the village and kind of unlock a new part of it mm-hmm. and talent overworld just felt like you know the sort of connective tissue between each place but also kind of had a richness to it itself and it, eventually when you go into sort of the underwater area like i love that place yeah um getting the gravity suit is so cool and the space boots I do wish that there were elevators for every place in Talon Overworld. That's like yeah, my one too. note. I totally it's, agree. It, it's a little bit annoying to have to go to Magmore Caverns to get to the mines or uh, Fenandra Drifts, right? Yeah. But yeah, uh, Talon Overworld, I think, is my favorite area. I like them all. Even the mines, which I found annoying, I think are cool <laughs> aesthetically. Like, yeah. And I like how they each sort of have like a varying degrees of interference you know you kind of get the beauty of the planet and its past with the ruins the overworld Mm -hmm. and then you kind of see sort of like the interference with like the mind the minds especially feel like so without life yeah you know the only natural thing there is radiation and mushrooms yeah one thing that i meant to look up and didn't is uh if the underwater frigate is the same frigate that you open the game in and it like because it says it's the frigate crash site i just assume that it's the same one but i don't know if it actually is that's so cool i didn't even think about that yeah and because the game begins with an escape sequence which usually the games end with yeah um yeah, and uh, I, I, I read a decent amount. I actually read more of the Chozo lore, which I think is interesting because I think there are there are like glowing parts of the wall that will give you um, Chozo lore from the various ruins and statues. And what's kind of eerie is like they, if I'm understanding it correctly, they foresaw the pirates' arrival like mm-hmm. way, way before it even happened and kind of like put plans in motion to prevent destruction from happening yeah so samus is in some ways sort of the chosen one by default for showing up and uncovering all of this yeah um i don't like fully know the connection because i know the chozo are like recurring 
mm-hmm. uh, beings in the game and, and to a greater degree in, in dread. But I, I, are they just sort of like the mysterious culture that like came before on the planet or is there more of a direct uh, role that, that they play? Yeah, you know, that's pretty much it. Um, yeah. they, they seem to be like prevalent throughout the entirety of the galaxy, as far as I can tell, considering they are on every planet that we visit in every Metroid game. Yeah, they're the Protheans. Um, I was, sort of. I was like, literally about yeah. to bring that up. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. Got it. Cool. Uh, next question. Chris Mai is in Discord. Is there anything from Prime that's not a feature of the 2D entries that would be neat to see translated to the side-scrolling Metroid games? My answer to that would have been the Morph Ball stuff if they hadn't kind of gotten into that a little bit with Dread. I think you could do more of it, even. And, uh, I don't know. Outside of that, like, maybe the Scan Visor? Like, it'd be cool to have the Scan Visor in those games, but... Are there, like, different visions in the 2D games at all? Not that I can remember. I wonder if that would work as well, but I wouldn't be against seeing it try i think it is a yeah. cool way to like make a setting feel more rich yeah right yeah maybe not the scan visor as much but e- even like the x-ray visor or the thermal visor or something um yeah could definitely work in a, in a 2d metroid yeah the secret weapons are pretty cool like the different charge weapons although i think there are different versions of that in the 2d i'm trying to think of something that is like specifically first person 3d that could at all work in 2d <laughs> which is almost like we're doing the opposite of what they set out to do with this game so it's yeah. a pretty difficult question but yeah i mean the morph ball is the obvious one the other one may be uh i wouldn't mind uh this is not as much in this game but hearing you talk about you know customizing your ship in metro prime 3 mm. you could do that in 2d you can customize yeah, your ship in yeah, 2d yeah. yeah i can have a lo-fi hangout relax study to ship in 2d yeah that sounds great so that would be that'd be my answer for that one uh okay we got a couple more victory chest on twitter what other styles of 2d games would translate well into 3d or more specifically first person perspective great Ooh. question <laughs> This is not my answer, but I was just, my brain was thinking about other Nintendo first party games and how horrifying would a first person Kirby be? You know what would be fun? First person Luigi's Mansion. Lean into the horror, you know, oh, yeah. controlling the flashlight, the vacuum. I think that could work. Yeah. Oh man. That's a great idea. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about 2D to 3D because I feel like most of most of that has happened at this point. Yeah. Yeah. What what I mean, for Nintendo, there's not really the last series that hadn't gone to a 3D plane was Kirby, uh, which recently got Forgotten Land. Right. Otherwise, I think, yeah, there's none really left. I wonder what a 2D Pikmin would be like if they had like sort of a star. Yeah, I'm kind of more interested in going the other way now. Yeah, Yeah, right. Maybe Star Fox should be 2D. I mean, side scroller, shoot him up. That'd I feel be, like this season of the show has been you and I trying to crack the Star Fox code. I feel like we <laughs> got to do a Star Fox episode at some point. New Star Fox is just have the Mass Effect character building stuff meshed uh-huh. with Ikaruga as gameplay. Boom. Done. Wow. I f- fucking asked and answered. <laughs> All right. Damn. Got in one. But yeah, I think honestly, I think first person Luigi's Mansion, especially because I feel like I don't know if they'll keep making those games. Like they sell really well, but I don't know like what else there is to do after three. Three felt kind of like a finale yeah. to that series, but I think if they did first person, that could be very interesting. Yeah. Lean into the horror part of it. Yeah. And last question. This is from Jason in Discord. The game was all about the details for me. Seeing Samus's face reflect in her visor, walking through steam vents and fogging up my vision, seeing Samus hand in the arm cannon with the x-ray visor. There it is. 
There it is. How do you guys feel about this method of creating immersion in an era where UI has become less diegetic? Wow. This is really like a, a just a nice bow on top of the yeah. whole episode. Incredible. Are there any modern games where you'd like to see more of this kind of thing? All. <laughs> like, for, like for real. I know that sounds like a bit, but like, I mean, it kind of is, but I really do mean that. Like, I, I do. I, I think that that would be nice. <laughs> I think, unfortunately, you know, uh, game development is very big and expensive and difficult and uh, you aren't always afforded the ability to say hey can we spend some time making it so uh, every once in a while you can see the the reflected face of the protagonist in the screen that's not always the thing that people will spend resources on but for a game like Metroid that makes sense and aids the the sense of atmosphere and what they're going for um, and I just always hope that every game is considered to that level, you know? Yeah, that's beautifully said. I, I, I'm now more excited for us to play the Dead Space remake because I do think that the first Dead Space did a bit of this where like mm-hmm. when you looked at the map, it was actually like projecting like a device that showed the map of the area in, in the reality of the game. Yeah. And I feel like seeing what the remake is doing with that could be really interesting. But I mean, yeah, I think like the commitment to that in this game is because that was one of the focuses of the game and yeah. one of the parts of the experience they wanted you to have. I don't expect this in every game. Right, right, right. Um, but I, I do think like in terms of UI, I think, I mean, honestly, I think God of War, the the recent two games could have really benefited from this kind of diegetic design with the one shot because it takes you out so much when you pause and see like a great point. eight different menus of stats it's like if they wanted that commitment to like you're following this sad dad who's tired through the whole adventure (laughs) yeah how tired do you think kratos is gonna be when he has to look at microsoft excel (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean i think also it helps to have it in a sci-fi game where you can kind of have it be gamey but also exist in the reality of the world yeah absolutely Um, I'd be curious to see like a minimalist version of this. And like, I don't know if there was like a a ghost of Tsushima that had sort of like UI design like this, where it's like just like your sword and a few other things, you know, like what would that look like? You know, I mean, that's just continuing to carry the, the, the banner of uh, idle thumbs forward, but that's what far cry two did like that. That is like far cry two's whole thing was never break immersion. And that meant that you had to pull out a physical map and unfold it to uh, see where you were, use a compass uh, and like dig around in a backpack to see what items you had in there. Like, yeah, they they really committed to the bit in Far Cry 2 to varying degrees of success. But, you know, not a lot of games do it like that. Yeah, I, I put that I put that in the same in the same camp as Metroid Prime in that case. Yeah. And I mean, and to be clear, like I think it's it works for certain games more than others. You know, yeah. and I think that's the issue, right? Actually, the, the, Ghost of Tsushima is a good, sorry to cut you off. No, 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 Ghost okay. of Tsushima is a great example to bring up because they did that, right? Remember with the, you would blow the whistle and then the wind would blow in the direction of your that's objective. True, yeah. Stuff like that, like was happening in game, which is cool. That is cool. And I think, um, you know, the, the issue for like modern UI is that there's sort of this blueprint that a lot of people use, which is fine. That's going to happen. But I think it's an opportunity that can be taken to enhance the experience. You yes. know, yeah. I think like if UI is sort of, if it's an afterthought, it's going to feel like that. But if it's part of the game, it's going to make it that much more special. I mean, mm-hmm. 
Persona 5, of course, is a glowing example of that. Where, like, the UI of that game feels like another character almost, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And in some ways is. But, yeah, I, I think Metroid Prime is still, like, a gold standard for this level of immersion. And I think for any, like, I I would just see this being more used in horror for some reason. That this feels like a genre that wants you to feel on edge and, and there. Yeah. And I feel like Metroid Prime is weirdly, like, a, a game to look at, even though it's not really a horror game. Yeah, it's it's actually interesting how much of metroid as a as a franchise is born of horror influences and ends up not really leaning into horror until you get to fusion and dread yeah but but the prime games really aren't that focused on horror at all and maybe maybe now that dread has happened and we're now in like a post-fusion world also and they're developing a new metroid prime maybe they'll be like hey can we put a little bit of ridley scott in this guy or yeah because i mean there's such a there's such a huge alien influence you know undoubtedly and like but i i kind of like that like i i love the horror focused metro games but i like that they're sort of just like you know action sci-fi games yeah kind of have like a heroic tone to them right yeah yeah is that it that's it that's the last question this might be one of our one of our more concise bonuses yeah it's interesting because this game really it's it's another one of those like yeah it's really good <laughs> yeah exactly. kind of games you know it's like well, that's kind of why we gave it to ourselves because one we wanted to play it it's been on it's been metroid prime even before the remaster came out it was like one of the games we knew we wanted to do a bonus about yeah exactly but you know it was also like this might be like a good kind of short and sweet one to do yeah um but i mean again just like and this might just be you know having a video game podcast but like this game feels so rich even though it's only like a 10 hour game like it feels just as eventful if not more than most 30 plus hour games mm-hmm. um metroid just has that effect like even dread is like pretty short and i mean they're all kind of like less than 20 hours yeah depending when you beat this game they give you a new game plus and hard mode also which uh I don't know if I want to do, but it's, it's <laughs> nice to know that that's available on my Switch if I ever do feel the need to go back into it, because I, I couldn't believe I, I texted you this or, or messaged you this as soon as I was done. But I, I couldn't believe that this game was only like 10 and a half hours by the time I was done with it, because it sure felt like 20 or 25, which is weird. Yeah, in a good way. Like if, yeah, I mean, In a good way. Yeah. And maybe the Chosen Artifact stuff felt long, in a bad <laughs> way, but but it wasn't enough to really like. I still was enjoying playing it. I just felt a little bit of like like if I wasn't um, playing this, you know, for this episode, I would have maybe put it down for a bit. Mm. You compared that to the uh, Triforce Shard quest in Wind Waker, yeah, and you're you're pretty spot on. The thing is, like in both cases those quests give you an opportunity to see more of the world. But at that point, you've already probably seen most of the worlds. You're just like going back and doing things. And yeah. it's like a little bit tedious, but otherwise like this is easily one of my favorite games I've played in a long time. I'm very grateful to have finally entered the world of Metroid. Yeah. Shout out to the GameCube. <laughs> Thank you, GameCube. Uh, man, I'm excited to do Wind Waker eventually when we get to that. I'm, that'll, oh, be, yeah. that'll be a this year bonus. I, I, de- I demand it. Yeah, and, and Twilight Princess at some point too. I uh, Especially like, you know, Zelda on the Horizon and like those are our personal favorites. Like it was fun to do Ocarina as this like landmark game that we now both love, but it's like, what are our personal Zeldas? And then what's yeah. this new big one? Very exciting. Ugh, what a world. What a world. Anyway, Talon any final four. notes? <laughs> 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 no, no final notes. What in the Talon 4 is going on here? <laughs> what in the Fenandra drips? <laughs> I would love if... It, I'm sure someone's done this, but I would love like vacation postcards from all the different zones. Ooh. Like, you know, dreaming of you in the Magmore Caverns. Oh, I love this idea. Yeah. Maybe I'll make them. Why not? <laughs> anyway, 
Thank you so much for listening. Metroid Prime rules. Give it a shot. We'll see you next time. Wow. Yeah, really concise. Thanks. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Like, comment, subscribe. One hundred percent of items. Now you get to see Brendan and I without a helmet. Uh, finally. <laughs> <laughs> finally. What do we look like? Nobody knows. <laughs> bye bye. See ya. Garbage. The online.